And now it's time for News with My Dad, a show where we talk about the news with my dad. And in Studio Live, playing the role of my dad is, in fact, my dad, the star of our show, Joe Smith. Pop, how you doing? I had to scrape ice off my windshield this morning. Well, it's January. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I know it seems like we live in Northern California, but it is January in Oregon. We're supposed to get some frost at some point. This is a show we talk about the news. We try to talk about the important stuff. Sometimes we talk about the unimportant stuff. When it's unimportant, we try to say so. We take turns. Dad typically takes the first turn. Pop, do you have a shout-out? I do indeed. I'm shouting out this morning for Senators Mike Lee of Utah and Rand Paul of Kentucky, who despite the fact that they are Republicans and of the president's party, had both the wisdom and the courage to speak up about the unconstitutionality of the murder of Soleimani, and particularly to decry the administration's sending up what was supposed to be a briefing and what was really just, as they said, a message to say to Congress, children, don't bother us. This is none of your business. When the Constitution says it is only their business. So compliments to Rand Paul and Mike Lee. Well, Pop, where do you want to start? It seems like maybe we should start with We should start Iran. right there. Go ahead. Why don't you give us the update? We, You got the news. You offer the news of a couple of members of the Republican conference uh, criticizing the debriefing that they got uh, with respect particularly to the justification for the attack on Iran. The thing that struck me was looking at the analysis afterwards where the New York Times and others were saying, well, the reporting indicates nobody's really sure exactly why this happened. I think we know exactly why it happened. Of course it happened. It's one more example of the smokescreen that DDT does when there's the news is not suiting him. It's either not enough about him or it's about him critically. He comes up with something to change the subject. The House is going to vote to curtail Trump's war powers against Iran. Speaker Pelosi announced on Wednesday the House will vote on the war's power, War Powers Resolution. Members of Congress were briefed by top national security officials on the intelligence behind the decision to kill Iranian General Qasem Soleimani. Nothing Trump officials told the House in Wednesday's classified briefing apparently persuaded Democratic leadership against moving forward with a vote on the resolution. Democrats and some Republicans have criticized the administration for not obtaining congressional approval before killing one of Iran's public officials. Democrats specifically have questioned claims that there was an imminent threat posed by Soleimani, with many stating after Wednesday's briefing that nothing that officials presented with alleviated their concerns. As you mentioned, Pop Senators Mike Lee and Rand Paul, Republicans from Utah and Kentucky respectively, said they would block, excuse me, would back, they would back such a resolution in the Senate with a frustrated Lee calling it the worst briefing he's been to and blasting officials for instructing senators not to debate the strike. And the administration looking for some some scintilla of legal authority, they are now saying, well, this was authorized by the law that was passed after 9-11, which was specifically to go after folks who had participated 
in 9-11, either directly or indirectly. And they're saying, well, that's the reason. And Mike Pence has simply told a flat-out lie, saying that Suleimani had helped transport some 11 of the murderers who committed the 9-11 atrocity. And there is absolutely no evidence anywhere for that. And in fact, the 9-11 Commission concluded that Iran not only did not participate, they didn't know anything about it's going to happen. The, the, the dishonesty of this administration knows no bounds. That the Republican argument, or at least the president's argument, is that the AUMF, the authorization for use of military force, gives the president the authority to use, quote, all necessary and appropriate force, end quote, against anyone believed to have been involved or aided the September 11th attacks. This, of course, is why Mike Pence has made the case exactly. that there He's, was a connection they, they, to 9-11. They've got, they've got to create a story that didn't happen to try to sneak under that law. And even then, that law was specific to Iraq. Yeah. Uh, where do you think this happens? Where do you think this goes now? We know That's what everybody is wondering. Where does it go now? There was an immediate missile strike, and now there's a whole lot of debate over whether or not Iran was consciously aiming those missiles so it wouldn't kill anybody, or whether we were able to move our personnel because there was a telephone warning to the Iraqis that it was going to happen, and the Iraqis then communicated that to our troops, or the radar system, the heat, the, actually the heat sensing system that catches ballistic missiles when they start off, gave enough warning to our troops being able to move. We'll, we will never know about that. But the question is, is that all that Iran is going to do? Or was that simply a reminder to us that they do have ballistic missiles and something more is to come? We, sh we can only see. And the, the coincidence of the Ukraine 737, the Ukraine air... air uh, airplane? Air, not airplane. Yeah, it's, it's their, national, their national airline, 737 that suddenly blew up, went down. And I just really hope that Iran will send the black box. They're not going to send the black box to us. I can understand that. But I hope they send it to France or to Canada or to Australia, all of whom have really good, sophisticated labs that can get the information off the black box to see what really happened. Now there's speculation that it might have hit a drone. I, I, th I find that extremely unlikely unless the drone had munitions on it because the striking a, a drone would still not cause something so immediate that there was no time for the crew to report a problem. And the fact that everything was normal and the crew had nothing to say and suddenly it was gone strongly suggests to me that it was either a bomb on board or a missile that struck it. And if it was a rocket of some kind that struck it, a surface-to-air missile that hit it, who could it have been a mistake because they got the wrong airplane? Just all kinds of questions. I just hope Iran will 
make it possible for us to learn what happened. Ukrainian jetliner killed 176 people in its crash morning in Ukraine and Canada, where many of the victims were from or were headed, and raised a host of questions about what went wrong. The Iranian officials have denied any uh, claims that it was shot down as part of psychological warfare or otherwise. Dad, when you and I talked last night, uh, we both wanted to see the passenger manifest. I want to know who's on it because there was somebody on it that somebody wanted to kill. Uh, the timing raised questions about whether it was part of uh, some missile barrage. One thing that the U.S. Army offered an alert to make clear that it is not going to be happening is that you are not being drafted. The U.S. Army wants Americans to know that they have not been selected for a military draft, despite a rash of texts that falsely tells people they're heading to fight a war against Iran. The warning comes amid escalating tensions. We hope now might not be escalating tensions. Uh, in the retaliation, of course, Tehran had launched more than a dozen missiles at two military bases in Iraq on Tuesday. On Wednesday, officials said in a comment that U.S. Army recruiting commanders received multiple calls and emails about fake text messages, wants to ensure Americans understand these texts are false, and we are not initiating by this command or the U.S. Army. Speaking about Fox, Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley, who years ago, even months ago, was apparently trying to pose herself as a moderate, reasonable voice from the Republican side, got a pants-on-fire award from PolitiFact because she said that Democrats were mourning Soleimani's, Soleimani's demise. Just, just flat lie. Other international stuff. Have you by any chance seen the picture of Australia from the satellite? Yeah, but it's not real. Oh, is that right? It, it, is, a, it is a heat signature map. It is not a photograph. Ah, well, even a heat signature map shows that the, that, that continent is on fire. Yeah, it's, but it is, in some respects, that photo is a hoax. Okay, well, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> the picture. It does not. It does not reduce the tragedy uh, that is happening in Australia with more than a million animals dead. I think that's the number, uh, and with uh, with dozens of human beings. I'll get. I, I had that number. I'll find that number quickly. Uh, also, want to shout out to a friend of X-ray, uh, somebody who's been on these airways, Kieran Bond from Australia. Uh, Text with her. Her family is fine. The devastation is happening far away from the largest human population centers. But anybody who has uh, seen on their own Twitter feed uh, an image of a you know, trigger alert, because it literally it, it made me weep. Uh, the, uh, so you know, close your ears for a moment if you want to, but an uh, image of a koala uh, with, with, with devastating burns with someone trying to pour water on them a little bit to keep them alive. I mean, it was just a horrific scene. Uh, with kangaroo, you know, charred kangaroo, and um, uh, a charred against a fence. I mean, just just absolutely horrific. Yeah, they're they're saying that well over a million animals have been killed. You said you had other international stuff. Dad. Yes, got a lot. Got some international other stuff in Chile. Albertina Martinez, a photographer, a journalist, and a photographer was murdered in her apartment, and there is 
serious suspicion that that happened because she had taken pictures of police doing things that police were not supposed to do. And when you look at the history of Chile and the awful stuff that happened years ago under their dictator, that is troubling to me. Which I, this is not important. I know it's not really important, but in Britain, I guess it is terribly, terribly important. Harry and Meghan have said they're stepping back from public life, which has caused... This is really interesting. I think uh, this is really interesting. It, 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 with, apparently without the Queen's permission. And Piers, whatever his last name, and Piers Morgan is saying, is calling them spoiled brats. When all they're wanting is a little bit of privacy, and while we're talking about the UK, well, are, are you are you uh, ste- no, stepping no, aside no, from no, that uh, topic? No, go ahead. I, let's talk a little bit more about that. Go for so it. So Prince Harry and uh, and Meghan uh, had an Instagram, shall we say, bombshell, saying they're stepping back uh, and stepping back from public responsibilities and uh, their connection in that way to the royal family. Uh, they no longer going to no longer going to take. Here's the quote: We intend to step back as senior members of the royal family and work to become financially independent while continuing to fully support Her Majesty the Queen. It is with your encouragement, particularly over the last few years, that we feel prepared to make this adjustment. They declared a desire to split time between the UK and North America. Uh, not sure precisely where North America they mean. North America is a big place. Maybe they mean Mexico City. Maybe they mean, you know, Montreal. Maybe they but mean I, Manhattan. But I suspect they're more likely mean Manhattan. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Toronto's <laughs> or maybe, nice. Or maybe Aspen. Portland is in North America. So is Vancouver, Washington. Who knows? Maybe they'll be maybe they'll be up in Vancouver, Washington. We should send them we should send them a, a message, let them know we have beds. They could apply for a show. I don't know that they'd get one. The airways here are pretty crowded, but we they, we could let them apply for a show. He, he, what I think is interesting, there are a couple uh, first of all, first thing that comes to mind, any of these stories we should abolish the monarchy. Uh, the, the second thing that occurred to me was looking at uh, the story prior to this was when they released a statement about where they were going to spend the Christmas holiday and that they were not spending the Christmas holiday with the royal family. I find it interesting about royal families that they need to send press statements about where they're going to spend their holiday. This, again, reminds me of point one, why we should abolish the monarchy. <laughs> but the, and I say I would be sad for the monarchy to go away. I would be. Like I, I like Downton Abbey. But I just is a matter of democracy, is a matter of principle. I don't think hereditary power is supposed to be how it goes. Point three is I do think this is connected. And I, uh, Princess Diane was beloved around the world, and uh, Prince Harry had been very critical. In an interview, had been very critical about the media and the tabloid press in England, about their treatment of his mother and what they did to her, his, his words, I believe. And that he said, and I think with tears in his eyes, uh, that he wasn't going to let happen to Megan uh, what happened, to, what his happened to his mom. Yep. And Good for him. And, and I, I, I am not a royal court watcher, okay, C.1 earlier, but I do, uh, I do think that uh, the analysis I've seen or the, the huntry I've seen, that that's kind of what this is going on, is, is that with the racist press going after Meghan Markle, uh, with the tabloid press going after his wife, uh, this is part of that. They're saying, hey, we're stepping away a little bit. I don't think the Prince Andrew thing could have helped much. I'm like, I don't know if I want to be with these <laughs> folks. you know. And, and I was hoping, I was hoping that he was going to have another Instagram 
pleading upon his brother. I'm still awaiting this. Don't worry. I'm not going to hold my breath too bad, but I'm, st- I'm still just hoping his next major press uh, Instagram worthy or you know, press worthy Instagram post is going to be urging his brother to abolish the monarchy and abdicate the crown. I'm just, you know, that's my thing. I can't. I was hoping it'd be another stanza in his post saying, "I I cannot stand idly by what, what, as we what? barricade democracy with the false veneer of monarchy." Why not to his dad? Sure, his that'd dad, be great. His dad would get it. Papa, his, please. His get Papa, can sooner. you hear me? If I were a rich man, I would abolish the monarchy. I wish he would say. Interesting thing happened over Christmas period. Tesco, which is a very large supermarket chain in the United Kingdom, ordered a whole bunch of Christmas cards made in China. And one of the cards showed up and it had scribbled on it a plea from a worker in the Chinese manufacturing plant saying, I am a prisoner here, please help me. And they did a little investigating and discovered that indeed there really was were imprisoned people being forced to work in that, and so they decided to cancel their purchase of the Christmas cards from that company. Good for them. Notre Dame. Notre Dame may not be repairable. That will be a real tragedy if it turns out to be true. I hope that does not turn out to be true, but that's something for us to keep our eye on. Vladimir Putin visiting Damascus, sitting down with Assad, reminding us that uh, Syria is going to be there for a while longer. The, the, a tr- new train system has been opened between Beijing and Zhangjiakou, about 108 miles. The train between those two cities, even though it's going to make 10 stops will make the trip in 43 minutes. 108 miles in 43 minutes with 10 stops, giving people time to get on and get off. 217 miles an hour it will go, but the interesting thing is no driver. Automated. Lebanon has taken away the passport of former Nissan CEO Carlos Gosen in a court hearing. Lebanese authorities asked to be kept informed on Gosen's place of residence and ordered that he not leave the country. Gosen left Japan last month to escape financial misconduct charges. Lebanon has a non-extradition rule for their citizens, and Gosen says he is happy to stand trial in Lebanon, where he believes he will get a fair trial. And the Chinese are also looking for his wife, who apparently also managed to get out of the country. Well, why don't we take a quick break? By the way, you're listening to X-Ray FM, KXRY Portland, KQAC HD3 Portland, 107.1 and 91.1 FM, streaming online everywhere at xray.fm. I'm Jeff Smith. That's my dad. And radio is yours. Good morning, everybody. You are listening to X-Ray. Thanks for doing that. We appreciate it. By the way, our birthday is coming up. If you want to help, by the way, celebrate the birthday, let us know. be fun to... Be fun to get help. Be fun to figure out how we want to celebrate a birthday. X-ray is going to turn six. What? What? Six years. Can it really be? Can't be. It can't be. <laughs> it, the time goes too fast. Uh, the voicemail. If you want to leave a, a remembrance for Nick Fish, if you want to help uh, celebrate his legacy, help thank a uh, person who contributed to public service, 
the voicemail number is 971-319-5979. 971-319-5979. Again, you can leave a voicemail at 971-319-5979. Please do identify yourself. Dad, we have been talking about Australia, talking about uh, climate catastrophe, talking about fire and the environment. You had some other uh, environmental news to offer. I do indeed. The Thwaites Glacier, which is a big glacier in Antarctica, has lost 540 billion tons of ice in the last 40 years. 540 billion tons sounds like a a really lot of ice. It's going fast, and science does not know why it's happening. So there is a scientific study that has just begun. They are drilling down through the glacier a whole 600 meters. That's about 2,000 feet, four-tenths of a mile, to get underneath the glacier, and then they're going to send a submarine submersible down to examine the underside of the glacier to see if they can figure out why it is going so fast. Also, a Swiss study has connected climate change to daily weather, and they are saying that they that they have now figured out and can demonstrate that daily weather is in fact being influenced by climate change. Relevant to the environment, report is that big oil, the, the five big oil companies, have in the last 30 years spent more than $3 billion on PRA on to for fossil fuel propaganda. And that's really, it can't be called anything other than fossil fuel propaganda, which helps understand why there are still so many climate deniers. And then very relevant to the environment and kind of a transfer to a segue to us, United States. Bees. Bees are being killed by the millions in almond forests because the almond, almond orchards, I should say, because the almonds are so heavily sprayed with pesticide and is killing We can't bees. afford to leave more bees lose more bees. We cannot we afford. We got to keep the bees. We got to keep the bees. Darn it. Bees are critical. And then I don't know if you call earthquakes an environmental thing, but Puerto Rico, which had a 6.4 earthquake on the 7th of this month or, or last week I should say, since the 28th of December there have been over 500 earthquakes in Puerto Rico, rating at least two on the Richter scale, and more than 32 of them, more than over the over four on the Richter scale. Must be really scary to be in Puerto Rico right now, particularly since some of those folks still don't have any electricity or good water sources. Here is a court ruling that matters, and then I want to put it into a context that also matters. An appellate court has allowed the use of $3.6 billion in military funds for the border wall. A federal appellate court allowed the administration to use a certain set of defense apartment funds for the construction of that border wall after a lower court had blocked the administration from dipping into them. The money is separate from other funds the Supreme Court allowed to be used last year. The Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals on a two-to-one 
ruling. How did I guess it would be the Fifth Circuit? Granted a stay of the Texas judge's order, with the, which the administration had appealed. The case is still ongoing. Uh, latest ruling applies to the military construction funds. Uh, Secretary of Defense Mark Esper authorized, of course, diverting $3.6 billion for 11 wall projects on the southern border with Mexico. The Pentagon said that half the money was coming from deferred projects overseas. The other half was planned for projects in the United States. The ruling doesn't apply to the use of other funds, including counter-drug and treasury forfeiture money that have been de- designated for wall construction. Trump ended a 35-day government shutdown when Congress gave him $1.4 billion in wall funding, which was a lot less than he sought. Of course, I, don't, I barely need to give this background, but might as well. He ran for office saying build a wall, getting people to chant build a wall. Did, cannot get congressional and approval to build a wall. And who's going to pay for it? Well, it turns out the American citizen. Uh, and, well, it turns out strange military funds that were appropriated for other purposes, but that a federal society court is saying is okay. And that's the broader context. Uh, he has called it a national emergency to get money from other government accounts to build the sections of the wall. The emergency is his own political future. His, the emergency is his ability to be able to say, oh, look, I said build a wall, and we did build a wall. And he'll have to say, oh, well, Mexico, another day. Uh, he'll just say they are paying for it in some way that Fox News won't fact check, so he'll maintain the red wall in a different way. Okay. Uh, and again, you're listening to X-Ray FM, KXY Portland, KQAC HD3 Portland. Now, the broader context is this. I talked to an old friend. I called him Wish Happy Birthday. Alex Aronson. I don't know if you remember Alex Aronson, who worked at the Bus Project. Wonderful guy. Uh, ended up going to Stanford Law School. Uh, worked for the Department of Justice in the Civil Rights Division. And left the Department of Justice Civil Rights Division uh, because he was worried it was just going to be... Uh, a lousy place to be once Trump was elected president. It's going to be an entirely different Department of Justice. Because they're not really out to protect civil rights. And in hearing his account of what it's like in the in the Department of Justice now, he's, he said it's just tragic. It's tragic what is happening to such a prestigious uh, set of institutions that they're just being used for the political benefit of the occupant of the White House and being used for the benefit of his allies and the punishment of his enemies. Uh, and it was really it was a bummer to talk to him about it. And then, so good morning, everybody. Hope you're enjoying yourself. All right. The, uh, but the other thing he talked about, he gave me a stat that I want to follow up with. But the stat he gave me was that 87 percent of the of the judiciary, and I don't know if it, it, I can't imagine that means the entire judiciary. I can't I can't imagine. Hopefully, just recent appointments. It must just mean recent appointments. But I'll look it up. We're Federalist Society members. That we are seeing a, a out and out takeover of the federal judiciary. Something that the right wing has been prioritizing for decades. That pro democracy advocates have been under prioritizing for decades. And the, there is a $250 million uh, war fund by the right wing, mostly Koch brothers' money, uh, that is being applied right now to find and vet and confirm Federalist Society and right wing judges. That that is the exercise. And lest we think that the role of these judges will be, I don't know, something akin to what the rumor was in the 80s of a limited judiciary know what it will be is trying to limit the fetters to private power. It will be one of the most activist judiciary we've ever had. Including in this. Now recognize this this two-to-one decision uh, that allows allows the president to, this is not about limiting federal power. It's about limiting governmental power. This is allowing 
a unitary executive, is allowing the power of the purse, which is supposed to be held by Congress, to be usurped by the President of the United States, where he can take money from one thing and put it to another, when they have a significant budget debate. And one of the things at stake, when there is a significant budget debate... And, and the Congress specifically says no, the President says, well, I'm going to do it anyway. And there are puts and takes in that negotiation. Say, okay, well, we'll get a little money for, I don't know, food stamps. And here, we'll give you a little bit of money for the military. We'll take a little bit of money for affordable housing. We'll give a little bit of money for, I don't know, tax breaks for opportunity zones so that blighted areas like the Pearl District and southwest Portland, what, they're not blighted, can, get, can be subject to uh, favorable tax uh, treatment for wealthy investors who put their money there. And you have these puts and takes. If the president, it's a little bit like a line item veto, if the president is allowed to say, aha, but these funds, because I oversee the overall department, because they report to me, I can put that other money elsewhere. And if you can get two judges, Federal Society judges, to agree with you, uh, that is one example. And, and I'll connect it again. I'm making a little bit of a leap here. But I connect it again to one of the biggest decisions facing the country, and that is what's going to happen with Obamacare, what John Roberts will do, and it is what he will do, because I know what four we're going to do, and I know what the other four are going to do, unless he can do something creative that gets a sixth vote somehow. What John Roberts will do about Obamacare, and whether he views himself, and, and to what degree he views himself, and this federal judiciary uh, views themselves as uh, reducing congressional power, small d democratic power as well, and to what degree they are old-school conservative jurists, or if really what they are is right-wing political jurists trying to do the bidding of a Republican president. And what we really could be seeing is what happened to Rome at the time of Julius Caesar, where power worked its way to the chief among equals, as he termed himself, and wound up the legislature, the Roman Senate, becoming nothing but a rubber stamp and a, a, a non-entity. It's just a very, very, very frightening. One little glimmer of good news in rel relative to this subject, Justice Ginsburg announced yesterday that she is now cancer-free. Oh, that's so, good news, Dave. That is good news. I had news. not seen that. Oh, that's good news. So we can hope that she's going to last Holy the year. Holy mackerel. But she's got to last the year. And then the chances of her lasting four years beyond that, pretty dodgy. One more reason why we've just got to do something about it. And, and let me say, if we have anybody who ends up becoming appointed to the federal judiciary when you are uh, when it, at some point in your career, timing your departure is a critical portion of your life and your career. In fact, the judge for whom I worked uh, when uh, Clinton was president uh, said that he would not resign while Clinton was president because he was a Republican appointee. And he ended up being viewed as kind of a liberal judge, but he still viewed himself as a lawyer Republican. And he said, no, I can't, I can't step down while there's a Democrat in the White House. And he just didn't acknowledge that. And, and I uh, recognize that uh, the, I think one of the most important decisions Ruth Bader Ginsburg made was not resigning during the first two-thirds of uh, Barack Obama's presidency. I'm glad she didn't resign in the last six months of his presidency well, because now we know there would not have been a confirmation here. Last six months, last 12 months. But I, 
have acknowledged and said before that that decision was, I am hope, hopefully not a history-making decision. Hopefully there can be a change. But uh, the court will be on the ballot. Dad, Twitter has made a change or announced that they will make a change. They plan to roll out the ability for users to limit who can reply to their tweets with four new options. Marks a departure from Twitter's wide-open approach to online interactions represents a response to rising discontent with harassment and abuse on the service. Until now, users' control came only in the form of after-the-fact options like blocking other users or hiding certain replies to their tweets. Here are the four options. I know, Dad, since you are a an avid Twitter user, and by avid I mean you've never done it before. Uh, global means anyone can reply. Group. People the user follows and mentions can reply. Panel, only people mentioned in that tweet itself can reply. Or statement, no replies allowed. I will say it unilaterally. Dad, any comments on Twitter's changes or other Twitter news? The concern I have with that, if somebody is allowed to say no replies allowed and they just put out something that is flat untrue, which is happening a whole lot from the White House right now, just put out something, just a lie, there, there's no way to correct it. There's no way to put out put, put say, wait a minute, let's look at what really happened. There ought to, I suspect there will still be the ability to screenshot stuff and you know argue about it that way. Uh, my greater concern is actually what social media firms are going to do about robots. Uh, there was a really disturbing... Uh, article about, I think it was in the Atlantic, about how uh, artificial intelligence uh, bots that are already, we've already seen examples of them filling up Federal Communications Commission comment boxes, uh, getting better at mimicking humans, at fooling people into thinking that are thinking, making readers think rather that they are in fact real commenters. And that artificial intelligence, I'm reminded of Vladimir Putin's line that who wins the battle for artificial intelligence will control the world. Uh, That uh, artificial intelligence as a way of multiplying Twitter bots and multiplying one's likes and retweets and controlling and manipulating the discourse. I want to understand their plans for that. I think their plans for that are to continue to try to make profits. That's my that's my big concern. Yeah, I was going to say, let's hope that there is some plan for that, but I doubt it. And it is time for election news. Dad, what's first? First, I just, as you observed earlier, there are only five qualifiers for next Tuesday's debate. Three senators, a former vice president, and a present mayor. Uh, whether or not anybody will be able to slide under the next couple of days to add to that five. Only time will tell, but probably unlikely. Judge Judy has endorsed a candidate. Now, if you were trying to guess what candidate Judge Judy was going to endorse, knowing that she's a very intelligent woman, but also a very rich rich woman who makes a very significant seven-figure salary as her, oh, her dad, performance. Eight. What? Oh, Dad, eight. Is that right? Eight figures. Oh, yeah. She, she in 2013, has reported $47 million a year. Okay, that's eight. 
Yeah, she gets she gets about a million dollars a day. So who is she? According most? to Forbes, she got one hundred and forty-seven million dollars pre-tax in twenty seventeen. She is, I think, still the highest-paid television personality. So among all of the candidates on the Democratic side, who would you guess that she would most likely endorse? Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> Try again. Bernie Sanders. <laughs> Try again. Andrew Yang. Try again. Julian Castro. <laughs> I I I, think I, spo- she, I will spoil. I know the answer. The answer is Bloomberg. That's right. The answer is Bloomberg. And there, there has to be some coincidence with the fact that he is, because of his present wealth, maybe a little more sympathetic to people who make eight figures. So, Judge Judy, if you are listening, okay, or if your family is listening, my hope is that you will leave a hundred million dollars at least to pro-democracy advocacy organizations that work to actually build the underpinnings of civil society and rebuild those underpinnings rather than taking for granted and figure, figuring out, just figuring that the progressive era and the New Deal and the Great Society would just keep things going in a good direction for 100 years, which obviously is a bad idea and improperly thought through. And while we're talking about money and elections, Bloomberg and DDT have each purchased a minute during the Super Bowl. Do you know what a minute is costing this year? Oh, I don't. What's the cost? It goes up every year. It's about five million bucks. Five million bucks oh, five to million get a Super bucks. Bowl ad. Yes. And Bloomberg just well, write the check for $5 million. Well, Dad, the five candidates who have earned spots in the January 14th debate in Iowa are Joe Biden, Pete Buttigieg, Amy Klobuchar, Bernie Sanders, and Elizabeth Warren. Steyer, Yang, and Cory Booker, Tom Steyer, Andrew Yang, and Cory Booker, will all watch from the sidelines unless they see polling surges before Friday's deadline to qualify. The DNC thresholds are a modest step up from last month's criteria. Candidates need to hit 5% in four DNC-approved polls between November 14th and January 10th. By the way, it says modest, but the difference between 3 and 5% is a lot of people. A lot of people. Uh, as If I understand correctly, Steyer has two and needs a couple more. That is combined with 225,000 unique donors. You need to get that before midnight on Friday. And, yes, Tom Tom Steyer has two of the four polls that he needs. Yang has just one. Booker has yet to hit 5% in any poll. Bunch of racists. Yang and Steyer participated in the December debate, while Booker did not clear that polling threshold either. Which which really suggests that if, if you were polled and Cory Booker, for example, may not be your candidate, but you'd like to see him in the debate, lie a little. Oh, <laughs> Some election project- projections from Morning Consult. Joe Biden leads other contenders in a hypothetical matchup against Donald Trump. Biden leads President Donald Trump by six percentage points, 46 to 40 in a hypothetical matchup, a wider margin than any of the other top contenders in the Democratic primary. Biden also continues to lead in vote choice against his Democratic rivals among Democratic primary voters. Independents break for Democrats in head-to-head matchups. The Democratic frontrunners against Trump Independents consistently back the Democrat in the race, with Sanders having the largest lead over Trump among independents, though over a quarter of independents are undecided. Black voters are sticking with Joe Biden, while Hispanics prefer Bernie Sanders. Roughly two in five black voters choose Biden as their top pick in the Democratic primary. A plurality of Hispanics choose Sanders over Biden, 36 to 24. Uh, Dad, I want to talk about viability. Now, 
there are a few arguments here and the connection between viability and who one might choose the presidency and how a progressive might choose who they prefer. There are a number of arguments here. The best argument I've heard for Joe Biden offered by a progressive was this. And it's some and it is not somebody who's like looking for some tax break done, but have it signed by a Democratic president instead. This is by a, a legitimate, uh, you know, uh, they would describe themselves. They would use the word liberal instead of progressive but more often. I think I know. Uh, and his argument was, uh, well, Jeff, I want a nominee who can win North Carolina by a good margin. I want a nominee who can make South Carolina and Kentucky at least at least arguable. I put, want to put, put put them in the mix. I want a nominee that doesn't just beat Trump, but that has sufficient coattails so that we can get a Democratic Senate, because that will have the delta between a Democratic and Republican Senate is vastly more important than the delta between a somewhat more conservative versus a somewhat more conser- uh, more liberal president. That is. Excellent argument. I think that is the best argument for a uh, for a principled progressive to support Biden. Uh, what's your counter? I, I I have a counter as well, to be clear. But what's your counter? Do you have a, another way to think about the viability discussion? Well, my my counter, and I agree that is a very very good argument and worthy of real consideration. But my counter is that the biggest single factor in who is going to win that election is going to be turnout. And turnout is going to be governed in very large part by excitement. Donald Trump, three years ago, produced a lot of excitement. Hillary Clinton produced almost none. I disagree, but go on. Well, I said almost. I I disagree, but go on. Okay. And... I think Elizabeth Warren has the ability to produce a lot of excitement. I think Bernie Sanders can produce a lot of excitement. I think Cory Booker might produce quite a bit of excitement. That's that's the counter. I think there are a couple ways of thinking about this, and here here are my counters. So one is that there's sort of the sort of the energy and excitement, enthusiasm thing. It'll boost turnout. Another an argument that is somewhat similar to that that was an Obama argument that was a Julian Castro argument uh, is that well maybe a certain candidate can change the map can change the uh, arithmetic and open up pathways to new voters often by that they mean voters of color when folks make that argument Uh, we had a guest on uh, who uh, who may articulately made that argument who persuasively is the word I was looking for uh, made that argument there's another one though, and here's my and here's where almost I land, is that I'm not sure it matters. I'm not sure it matters if you look at the performance by Obama in his reelection and by Hillary Clinton. It's pretty darn similar, and they are not the same people. Uh, I'm not sure that the uh, presidential candidate ultimately, once the Donald Trump mechanism, the Fox News mechanism has uh, a year to whack on somebody, has six months to whack on somebody, has a billion dollars to whack on somebody, not counting all the dark money, not counting all... I mean, I assume Donald Trump's going to spend a billion dollars on the race. Uh, maybe, I, maybe I'm wrong by some number of hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, not counting all the Fox News, not counting all of the... not counting Breitbart, not counting uh, 
the uh, right-wing talk radio, Rush Limbaugh, etc., that every single Democratic nominee will be hated by the Republican base by the time November of 2020 hits. Yes, I'm afraid that is true. They, they will be persuaded that that person is guilty of pedophilia or something similar. Whatever, whatever, whoever the, whomever the candidate is. Yeah. Okay. If it's Bernie Sanders, he will be a socialist who was dodgy on his taxes and who is questionable on foreign policy and who, I, I don't, and any number of things that are just made up. Uh, Elizabeth Warren will be called many of the same things and will have all kinds of stuff, that, all kinds of dog whistles uh, of misogyny. Uh, Joe Biden will be called a doddering old man and a guy who is and, and he'll be called corrupt and they'll try to make hay about the stuff of his son. And this stuff is if it's Pete Buttigieg, it'll be pointed out that the kid just got through puberty and that he hasn't led a, you know, led a really large city. And there'll be insidious dog whistles about his sexuality. Absolutely. And who knows about if, if there's anything about his military background that we don't yet know. Or that they will just make up because I, look 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 what they did to carry. They just made stuff up. They just made it up. They just made it up. They turned a war hero and tried to take his away his greatest strength, and to some degree did succeed in take away his greatest strength by outright lies, well funded lies, and a media that both sides weigh too much of this stuff. Unless you think Amy Klobuchar would be immune to this, I'm not sure what it would be, but she ain't immune to it either. Whomever it is, whomever it is, oh, will get the Bill Clinton, the Hillary Clinton, the Barack Obama treatment, and they will be hated. They will be hated by the right-wing base, and that will muddle their overall reputation by the time November happens. Now, that's not, and I could be wrong, you know, on the margins, it'll still matter, perhaps. On the margins, depending on the margins, on the margins, it will matter. The question is just how big of those margins are going to be. So this is where I land is what I want is the best president. I just want the best president. I want the person I think would do the job best. Not the person who has the plan for the, even the best plan for the most robust congressional, uh, uh, congressional platform, because they're not going to control Congress. The person who will manage the uh, executive apparatus the best, the person who has the best ability to and who can be best trusted to manage the regulatory apparatus to make sure the appointments are good, to make sure we do smart things in regulatory development, to make sure we're strategizing smartly on judicial appointments, that this stuff is going to matter the most for the White House and somebody who will articulate and build trust. Now, I will say, I think there is a case. If you wanted to make a, if you wanted to make the, um, uh, you want to go revisit that viability case. I do think there's arguments on multiple sides because uh, Klobuchar, who gets, I think, New York Times put out a thing saying that most election watchers think that she would probably, in a head-to-head matchup with Trump, do the best overall. Uh, the folks who have watched elections and are watching this one say, oh, I don't know, uh, misogyny is a real thing. Warren and Klobuchar both have to deal with that. Uh, the thing that Elizabeth Warren has going for is that one of uh, Donald Trump's big arguments was essentially an anti-corruption argument. You know, he said, oh, this whole thing is corrupt, only I can fix it. And she has the longest record of going after corruption, both in the private and governmental sectors. So, uh, so that's a little bit of viability. I just at least wanted to cover that. Yep. Also, on the election front, North Carolina federal judge Loretta Riggs has told the North Carolina legislature that she is not deceived 
by their rewrite of their voter suppression law and has thrown that out, which is in which is encouraging. Both parties, both the Republican and Democratic Party, are seeking big donations from big corporations to pay for their conventions. And the Republican side is just blatantly saying this is a way you get access. They are simply selling access by getting big contributions from corporations to play for the conventions, which is kind of too bad. And also relevant, DDT retweeted the name of the alleged whistleblower, yeah. which is just so irresponsible. Just so irresponsible. Buttigieg has come up with a small lead within the margin of error in New Hampshire. Uh, Buttigieg, Biden, Sanders, and Warren in that order. Warren having lost the uh, lost the greatest sh- uh, vote share. She's at 15, uh, down from a sizable lead previously. But they're all still within five points. 20 for Buttigieg, 19 for Sanders, 18. Excuse me, 19 for Biden, 18 for Sanders. 15 for Warren, uh, not quite a statistical tie, but very, very close. Then Klobuchar, six. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard, four. The uh, Biden and Bloomberg hold the largest lead against Trump in Michigan, according to Detroit News and a poll that they published. Uh, that what questions would you like? What do you hope? Let's look ahead to the debate. What do you hope gets covered? What should we be watching for or hoping for or maybe hoping against? Well, what I keep hoping there is going to be is a real discussion of the priorities in our budget. And do we really think that we should be spending a significant majority of the discretionary money we have on the night watchman? Is that really where we want the money to go? When we've got bridges falling, I, I don't down know why I ask this question. It's always going to it's always be a military budget. I, every time I ask the question, it's military budget. I know the answer. So why right do you now. keep asking? Because I want to have conversation. <laughs> I, I'm not criticizing your answer. I just should have oh, okay. I should have asked a smarter question. Anything new? In, in addition, I should have said in addition to military funding, which is it, it critical to the world and and also uh, notably important to you. Uh, in addition to that, what, anything else we should be watching? Well, for? that is new. I think there should be a real discussion of presidential power an acknowledgement that I want to be president and I want to do great things for the country, but I think it's really important to understand that the one of the most fundamental bases for the Constitution, one of the biggest concerns the founding fathers had as they deliberated in the hot summer of 1787, was to prevent our having a de facto king, that ultimately the people had to decide. And how did the people decide? Well, they elected legislators, and legislators listened to the people, and then, as a Republican system, voted. And I would like to see a real acknowledgement that there are some things that we are supposed to still leave to Congress. I am hopeful that with five candidates, and that means there'll be a little bit more time per candidate, that candidates will be willing to get a little more nerdy. And I know that there'll be many a pundit, many a presidential watcher who will think I'm foolish for wanting this, but that is what I want. And it includes, Dad, your 
desire for more discussion of presidential power. But I don't just mean the limits to presidential power. I also mean its legitimate expanse. I want somebody to get regulatory nerdy. I want somebody to get in and talk about the FDA and why we need an FDA that is different than the Trump and FDA. Why, why, we, why we really need anti-monopoly. I want somebody to talk about antitrust, that one of the most important things that the next president can do and can do without Congress is to enforce the Sherman Act and the Clayton Act and enforce antitrust law regulations and how they would do that. I want to understand how these presidents would deal with the Department of Justice Civil Rights Division and explain how, because this, this to me is probably Warren's best argument. I think it's her best argument of why she should be president, and it's certainly her best argument against Biden. And that is the big thing that's going to happen, the stuff that, that, that people... Uh, um, that is on everybody's mind, the Democratic presidents are going to end up governing and sounding pretty darn similar, right? Because they're going to a lot of the same donors, and there's some differences, right? I mean, in the wine cave, it's going to be a little bit different than in the than in the selfie line. But a lot of similarities. There's not going to be any major difference on a woman's right to choose, for instance. There's not going to be any major difference on making sure that we continue to uh, maintain uh, open freedoms for the LGBTQ community. Uh, there will be some differences on health care policy, and there are some differences, but that's going to be resolved by Congress more than it's going to be resolved by the President of the United States. It's the places we aren't watching. It's things like bankruptcy. It's things like opportunity zones. Nobody was paying attention to opportunity zones. What the heck are they? Well, they're a thing now that Trump put in place that Congress approved that allows you to dodge taxes by, and I'll say this as, as I may take advantage of these, other people might take advantage of these, but they should never have happened, that uh, allow you to park your money in a depressed area. The problem is the depressed areas are named by developers generally in these states. They're not really depressed areas, and you can avoid capital gains taxes by doing it. That's the kind of thing that doesn't end up in the presidential debates, doesn't end up in the uh, in, in the major discussion and argument, but ends up being enormously important for policymaking. So I'm hoping some of this stuff, and, and, why, and I think Elizabeth Warren's, I hear your breath, Dad. When I hear your breath, I know you want to talk, but let me finish this. Uh, that Elizabeth Warren's best argument is that first she has built a regulatory agency. She led it. She knows how to do it. She knows how to write the regulations, how to oversee them. She knows who the staff is, and she'll be just as smart as them or smarter. The other is, this is her, this would be her argument, is she can be trusted. That she would go to, she would have arguments with Biden himself, both when Biden was in the U.S. Senate and then also when he was vice president. When she would be on the side, shall we say, of the progressive position in financial regulations, that what will someone do with power when no one is watching? This is, to me, legitimately important. People will be watching in Congress, so your health care legislation, whatever the, whatever the president thinks, everybody's going to be watching and the Congress is going to decide. Where people aren't watching, that's going to be what is really important for who the president will be, and I'm hoping that they will talk about that and make that case. Pop, go ahead. Well, you are reciting something that I've been talking about for at least 40 years, that elections are supposed to be not just selections. We've known each other about that long, so go on. But, but educational activities that, uh, 
somehow when you run for office, you've got to accept you have a responsibility to inform people, to raise their sophistication, raise their awareness, which is exactly what you're talking about. And with five rather than 14, or five rather than 10, there's going to be a lot more chance for them to talk, and I totally agree. I hope that they do. And, Dad, as you mentioned, Bloomberg's campaign set it purchased the ad at the market rate north of $5 million. Bloomberg is self-funding. Any other election news you got? Well, I think it might be just worth mentioning, it's not exactly election news, that Duncan Hunter, the San Diego congressman, Republican congressman, who wound up pleading guilty to misspending campaign money on himself and his wife after he said, oh, it's all folks hoax. He has resigned, which is a good thing. And relevant to the subject matter we're talking about, new book comes out, says that Ivanka and DDT Jr., not only lied, but colluded in their lies years a few years back in order to sell units in the Trump Soho condominium in New York. And they then wound up settling with folks they had defrauded, paying back most of the money, 90, 90% of the money that the folks had invested, by getting promises from the folks who had been defrauded to not participate in any criminal prosecution. So the criminal prosecution, which the New York DA had started, had to go away. And now it's time for today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. I'm Jefferson Smith. It's Thursday, January 9th in 2019. Cannabis dispensaries in Multnomah County sold more than $225 million of legal weed, the highest total in the state. Six Oregon counties sold more weed per capita than Multnomah did last year, with our friends in eastern Oregon and the coast leading the pack. Multnomah County Chair is seeking to replace Representative Jennifer Williamson. Multnomah County Commissioners this month will appoint a person to replace former State Representative Jennifer Williamson as she runs for Secretary of State. Deborah Kafori says she hopes Multnomah County Democrats will nominate individuals who well qualified, though hopes they will not use the appointment process as a springboard to run for election in 2020. Nick Fish has re-gifted Gordon Sondland's money to a domestic abuse hotline. Before his death, late City Commissioner Nick Fish donated $1,500 to call to safety a domestic abuse hotline. The money was a gift from Gordon Sondland over a decade ago. Portlanders are working from home more than ever. Nearly 10% of Portland residents have ditched the office life, according to a new study by Smart Asset. That's the third highest rate in the country. And the wedding cake discrimination case is back in court. Back in 2013, Sweet Cakes by Melissa of Gresham declined to bake a cake for a same-sex couple. The U.S. Supreme Court decided not to hear the case, but ordered the Oregon Appeals Court rehear the arguments in the case. The high court also vacated a $135,000 fine against the bakers. The mountains could see up to six feet of snow next week. Forecasters are predicting anywhere from three to six feet of snow in the Cascades, and snow levels could drop as low as 2,000 feet. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. Dad, about the legislative election. This is something you know, le- legislative selection. Uh, the, the 
Multnomah County Chair is not seeking to replace Representative Jennifer Williamson as the representative, but is going to be managing the process to do that. Is going to be do is going to be managing that selection. That's a process you've been a part she'll, of. She'll simply be presiding over the meeting of the county commission that picks from one of the three picks one of the three nominees that the party will forward. Explain how that works. How it works is that when a member of the legislature in Oregon resigns, the local party that is for, for that district meets and selects three, four, or five nominees, and which is always three nominees because the more nominees they present, the less influence they're really having over the process. So they su submit three, and then the county commission or commissions, if that district crosses county lines, votes as to which one of the three will be appointed. And that's the system. Margot Black, by the way, has just announced her candidacy for uh, for city council. We'll be uh, covering that race, and we'll be interviewing folks here. Margot, of course, has been on the program a number of times. Uh, and, and the most important part of that story was Chair Deborah Kafori, who will be one of the five votes in determining who's going to get it. Right. right? So she's got to got to outside and if her view is persuasive to others it could be the governing view and her view is she hopes that people seeking the appointment will not use it as a springboard to run for election in 2020 that's what you did yeah, that's what i did but i did that specifically because there were two declared candidates yep. and it seemed to make sense for somebody to come in as a placeholder who was not and let those two fight it out and that worked very well and I think both of the candidates appreciated that I did that and I wound up getting to serve in the legislature for nine months while those two candidates went after each other. And that is the argument that if you have an ongoing race or a race that's going to be ongoing that the county commission well first it goes to the party and you have the precinct people make the decision and you can have that precinct vote and then the county commission vote, particularly that county commission vote, could be a hugely powerful endorsement for, I mean, it's so much easier to win as a sitting member of the legislature than as a challenger, right? right? And, and by the way, I was, I was appointed to fill the vacancy to Chairman Kafori because she moved out of her district. And if you... Uh, and so somebody runs, and you had actually a strong argument. You said, listen, I won't, you know, I won't go after the, the overall deal. And then that allowed people to, uh, to not use that merely as a proxy for that fight. Uh, other local news you've got? Local news. Well, I've, I've got to slip in a factoid, which isn't local news, but I just really wanted to explain it. And, and this is one of those things probably not as important. But according to a study reported in the Journal for the Scientific Study of Religion, Christians are more likely to have dogs as pets. Atheists are more likely to have cats as pets. And there is an inverse relationship between the time that people spend going to church and whether or not they have a pet or how many pets they have. I thought that's kind of an interesting factoid. Uh, the uh, Dad, what's your favorite snow day activity? 
My favorite snow day activity. We might be having snow days. My favorite snow here. day activity is, a question to have, I was told to ask. is to have a really good excuse to stay in. Is that significantly different than other days? <laughs> <laughs> you don't have a good excuse other days. You don't days have a good excuse. In. You need to get out and do something. All right. Don't have to mow the lawn. Don't have <laughs> no January lawn mowing. Uh, and do you have thoughts on working from home? How, how productive are you from home? It, it goes up and down. Some days I am fantastically productive, and some days I'm just a couch potato. Yahoo, I remember when Yahoo allowed uh, working from home and then stopped allowing working from home. And that's my fear is that it works for some people, doesn't work for other people. And I think for most people it works sometimes and doesn't work other times. I'll tell you, when I stayed home from school and I'd have in the morning I had big dreams about getting caught up on homework or whatever, I just get caught up on Big Valley and Bonanza. <laughs> I, you know, it was it was not it was not a, a, a great repository of efficiency and productivity. If I get started, then I'm just heck, hell on wheels. But, uh, but, but I have to get started. There's an announcement, a public service announcement that I, I've got to make sure we make because I haven't made it the last two times and I've got to make it. If you are one of those persons who commutes on Southeast 11th and have had to address the train blocking your being able to get between Division and Powell, or actually you're going, yeah, between Division and Powell, there is now a website that you can simply go to and get your pen. I'm going to read, say this slowly. The website is isatrainblocking11th.com. That's isatrainblocking11th.com. And you go there, and it will tell you whether or not there is a train. There will either be a great big no, or there will be a great big yes. And if there's a great big yes, it will tell you how long it is going to last. So you'll know whether or not to get in line or to jump on over to another way north or south. Congratulations, Leica Studios, for winning the Golden Globe for Best Animated Feature. I like still to think of Leica Studios as Will Vinton Studios. Shout out Will Vinton, the creator of that firm. Uh, also, the or Oregon has created an office to focus on mega project delivery and addressing Portland traffic. Dad, I know you caught this one. Oh, yeah. The, the mega project, something of $100 million or more, is just to make sure when they come up with a those kind of projects, that it happens, which means what they're really doing, they're creating a body to try to see to it that they get their bridge. It's going to be a lobbying board. That's I what mean, it's going to be. It's going to be an it's advocacy exactly group. It's it going to be a publicly funded yep. advocacy group to do climate unfriendly transportation Propaganda. policy in Oregon. If it were a board to ensure that mega projects made sense, if it was a board to make sure that mega projects actually fit with stated goals of lawmakers, including climate goals. But the goal is simply to make sure that they happen. But if it's but if it's just <laughs> but if it's just the promote if it's just the war department to promote the darn thing, well, I don't know. Is that something we should be rooting for? I guess not I. Another public service announcement. You should know that the national parks is going to have free days, January 20th, which is just next week, 
April 18th, August 25th, September 26th, and November 11th. So if you like the national parks but don't like to have to pay the fee to get in, plan for that. Oregon Liquor Commission has said thou shalt not put pot or pot derivatives in booze. Not okay to have that combination. So that... And have you heard separation that, of church and state? You can you can have your pot or you can have your booze, but you got to be Jeffersonian right. about it and keep that stuff separate. There's going to be a vortex reprise. Yeah, I got I, I heard about this, and actually I I pinged Thomas Lauderdale about it. They're trying to do a new do, do a new vortex. Vortex for folks who aren't familiar with the term. Fifty years ago, vortex was the event created by then Governor McCall to divert the attention of hundreds, and it turned out to be thousands, of young people who were initially coming to Portland to protest the convention of the Veterans of Foreign Wars or American Legion. I can't remember which one it was, but it was one of the veterans groups, and decided if they had a music festival a la uh, the big one in the east of a few years previous, that it would keep there being bad stuff happening, and it turned out to happen. This time, I suspect they will not be quite so liberal towards drug use as they were. They pretty much closed their eyes to what went on. But yeah, there's going to be a vortex reprise. Brian Boquist, Senator Boquist, has been sued the legislature and sued the president of the Senate for saying that he had to give notice when he was coming to the Capitol because of threats he had made. Circuit Court judge has thrown the case out and was somewhat critical of Senator Boquist because Senator Boquist rested his case in part upon his religious beliefs, and the judge commented that he sounded a lot more like Clint Eastwood than Mother Teresa. So much for Senator Boquist's suit and quite a line from quite a line from a member of the judiciary i want to go back and just and add one thing it'd be fun to have him on the show brendan finn has become the head of that uh head of that mega projects uh organization put together by the state he's gonna be paid one hundred seventy-eight thousand dollars a year uh and brendan finn who's been a staffer in city council back in the day uh the one piece of potential good news is that there is, he's also been asked to think about how congestion pricing could be linked. And the deal is, is, is the major debate here is for the people who look at traffic and say, we got to do something about it. Uh, one argument is, hey, let's build a whole bunch more freeway capacity. The critics of that say, well, what that leads to is induced demand. It just gets more people driving, gets more development that is requiring driving, participates in the same kind of city development that has been ruining the climate, ruining local businesses, and promoting only chain stores over the last four or five decades. And if you had any doubt about that, just look at the history of 205 in Portland, which when it was built, there was nobody on it, and now it's a parking lot twice a day. 
and the uh, and the counter argument instead, the counter proposal being what you ought to do is do what they did in London and many other places is actually just charge a little bit more, have tolls that are based on uh, the time of day. And if you go during the really high congestion times, a little bit more lower congestion times, a little bit less. And to make that more progressive, we'll figure out a way to do subsidies in the back end or another way to make it easier for people and also use some of that money for public transportation. And so add that, to that, and add to that, not just time of day, but number of people in the vehicle. So the uh, and so hopefully that will get linked. Uh, we will be having more uh, more X-ray on the city uh, coming up in a little bit. Dad, any other local news? Uh, is Alex going to be calling in, or do we have it? I, I just I just don't know. I don't know if I want to get into something that requires talking about a little bit. Uh, go go ahead. Okay. Oh no. Apparently, oh, apparently she is on the line. Okay. Uh, the, so, Dad, why don't we do? Why don't we talk to Alex now? We'll do straw in the wind at the very end. Let's do it. Now it is time for X-ray on the city. Thanks for listening to us. You're listening to X-ray. I'm Jefferson Smith. Portland's political scene has shifted a bit over the last few days. The commissioner Nick Fish death, and a new police chief. Other things are staying the same. Portland City Council has extended a contract designed to disperse homeless camps despite opposition. Joining us now is Alex Zelinsky, news editor of the Portland Mercury, who has written multiple articles on Portland's recent changes. Alex, good morning. Good morning. Commissioner Fish passed away. How are you doing about it? What do we What do we know? What should we learn? Yeah, well, it's been just a week, which is kind of remarkable because it seems so much has happened um, in that time and also just right leading up to that point um, the past yeah the past couple of weeks have been we, we've uh, lost a, a, a chief of police to Philadelphia we've got a new one we uh, lost a, a city commissioner to cancer um, and we already have people clamoring to, to fill his seat um, some quietly some loudly uh, yesterday I'd say the first person who um, confirmed a run to fill his seat, uh, came forward and, and spoke about it. Um, Margot Black, the kind of Portland renter, uh, renter's right advocate uh, who helped found Portland Tenants United. Um, she already announced a run to fill his seat, but there's a lot of murmurs of other folks, including former Mayor Sam Adams, um, who might uh, join join that race, which is interesting and kind of remarkable because the city council it's not like this the um the race for the city council election in may that the primaries um was you know pretty uh mundane there already were two or three seats that are um open one totally uncontested that people could have joined in uh the race for <laughs> but now that nick fish now the seat's empty. There's going to be a special election, which also will coincide with normal primary day in May. Um, there are a ton of people kind of coming out of the woodwork. And explain explain that timeline. That yeah, will it operate with the precisely the same timeline as the regular election, where the, ele- the there'll be a primary in May and then a runoff after that, or is there any adjustment? Is there? I know I know the city council can set this, uh, but yeah, what what are the steps? Exactly the same as normal timeline, or anything different? It's a little different. Um, the beginning, um, the, the primary election is exactly the same um, as a normal city council race. It's going to be on the same day as a primary election, May 19th. And, um, you know, uh, in the same way that council races have gone in the past, if someone does not get more than 50% of the vote, um, 
in that election. There's going to be a runoff between the two top candidates. But unlike um, normal primaries and then a runoff, it's not they're not going to wait until you know the November general election for that runoff. That will take place on, I believe it's August 11th. Um, and it has something to do with just kind of uh, city code rules, since this is this is just a unique special election. It's midterm. Um, you know, Fish still had two years on his. Yeah, we don't want um, to be without a full city council, and so it is yeah. an abbreviated is, is, timeline. Is, is there any interim appointment, or is that seat is that seat just vacant for all that time? Yeah, that seat's going to be vacant. His entire um, his entire staff, uh, Nick Fish's staff, is. Is planning on staying on, um, I think, kind of depending on what, what they want to do, but they're welcome to um, continue working in the same exact office and working with the bureaus that they had in the past that were assigned to Nick Fish. Um, but all of those bureaus have been reassigned to Mayor Ted Wheeler, so um, that leaves Fish's staff kind of directly reporting to, to Mayor Wheeler just on the, the, the same kind of work that they were doing before. Um, and then, you know, once someone new uh, is elected, there'd be that kind of transfer of power and there'd be a whole new staff. And so, uh, I mean, good news is that not everyone's not immediately fired from his office and they're still really valued, it seems, from um, the council side of things to, to inform policy and continue kind of pushing along work that, that Fish was in the middle of. The Sam Adams thing is interesting, and I and I remember the. I mean, this hap- we've had this before. Uh, Eric Stan ended up in the city council based on an unanticipated opening, uh, right? And the uh, one of the things that changes with this abbreviated timeline is you've got from not you know a couple months ago when somebody could have started running uh, until November of 2020, but instead from now from January just until August. And that abbreviated timeline can reward someone with uh, larger name recognition, built-in donor base, uh, easier to develop uh, political apparatus, which, you know, seems to feed into a Sam, you know, Sam Adams candidacy. Uh, uh, Any other names that you think might be able to build something pretty quick? Yeah, well, there are rumors, no confirmation that um, former County Commissioner Loretta Smith, who ran against Joanne Hardesty the last time around, might join the race. Um, Sam Chase, who's currently a Metro Councilor um, and worked for worked under Nick Fish for a while, is uh, confirmed on, on joining the race and chatting with him tomorrow. Um, who else? Uh, Amanda Fritz, one of her um, staff members, is and now I'm blanking on her name, but she's interested in running. Um, and oh, and Julia McGraw, who uh, ran against Nick Fish previously and, and works for the City Club. Um, yeah, I think off the top of my head, those are those are the main names we're hearing right now. Um, it's interesting what you said, you know, about wanting someone with name recognition, but also wanting someone to kind of fill the shoes that um, Nick Fish is leaving behind. Um, which he, you know, he served a role as kind of a moderate on City Council. He also had the most um, he'd been on city council for the longest, including you know the tenure of the mayor. Um, so he knows he knew the most about. He had like the longest kind of um, understanding of how the city worked. He had run many different bureaus. Um, he had a kind of confidence that uh, I think the public really appreciated, and just knowledge of you know how to run the city that I think the public really appreciated. And so I think that 
um, finding someone who has some kind of intel and some kind of background in running city politics, whether it's, you know, the former mayor or a, a metro, former metro councilor or former um, county commissioner, someone who isn't fresh and brand new or, or maybe kind of coming in from the activist community right. will pr- probably be more appealing. Pop, so, go ahead. I have a question mm-hmm. about all of these races. As you know, the city passed a campaign finance limitation, $500 contribution limitation, which is based on the last ruling of the Oregon Supreme Court, unconstitutional, and so people have been acting as if it didn't exist. But it is on still, the law is still there. It hasn't been repealed. Is there any serious talk about what might happen to Mayor Wheeler and to maybe some of the other candidates for mayor or the council who have been raising contributions in excess of $500? Yeah, I mean, according to um, Jason Cafori, a lawyer who was one of the main point people behind the campaign for the campaign finance limitations, he um, and, and has filed um, complaints against both Mayor Wheeler and uh, another mayoral candidate, Ozzy Gonzalez, um, and a number of other people as well who've gone past those contributions, um, you know, they will be penalized. Um, there are penalties in place right now that if you um, aren't following that law, um, like retroactively, those can still come back and, and haunt you. Um, of course, a judge has also, you know, said that he, he does not plan on upholding the current law until there is an appeal decision. So um, despite having kind of these, um, uh, you know, Kafori kind of putting forward these um, uh, allegations, there might not be uh, any kind of pushback until until there's a real appeals court ruling. The judge yeah, the, pu- the pushback could be from folks like you, uh, you know, members of the media, and, and from folks right. like voters and folks saying, "Hey, wait a minute, yeah, I get like, do members uh, would be Portland City Councilors want to have the same view of campaign finance as Justice Antonin Scalia? Right. That's and, and that's the right. question that I'd want to ask the mayor, and that's a question I'd want to ask anybody who's trying to raise five and ten thousand dollar contributions: is do you want to stand with Antonin Scalia, or do you want to stand with eighty seven percent? Portland voters. Right. And that's happening at the same time, interestingly enough, as, um, you know, the first campaign with with candidates using the Open and Accountable Elections Program, which is kind of on the flip side of that, of people raising small amounts of donation uh, campaign dollars to be uh, paired with with public financing. Um, And so you have, yeah, you have candidates who are in that corner, and then you have candidates like like Mayor Wheeler, who is just kind of skirting those rules and skirting kind of the public um, you know, popular decision to uh, kind of fund his own his own campaign. We got just a minute or two. Uh, anything we know about our new uh, police chief? We've gone through a lot of police chiefs since I came back after law school. Came back to home after law school. Hey, we've been through a lot of police chiefs before you came back. We just had a lot of police, <laughs> lot chiefs. Of police chiefs. Out of that, Daniel Outlaw might stick around a while, right? I was like, hey, you know, she seems to, you know, and then, you know she got a she got a job at a bigger town. Uh, what do we know about our new police chief and? You know, 60 seconds. Yeah. Uh, she is a, uh, she's been with the police force for 20 years here. She went to PSU. She has family here. She's been far more committed to Portland as just a resident than, you know, say, Outlaw, who came in from Oakland and now, you know, a couple of years later is 
bounced over to Philly. So I mean, she I was an outlaw. That, I don't know. Right. I think that alone um, gives people some sense of security and stability. Um, she seems to be really well liked within the bureau um, and respected and appreciated. She she was a second in command to Chief Outlaw for the past uh, for nearly you know uh, nearly a year, um, and so she was kind of doing a lot of. She knew a lot of the responsibilities. She was carrying out a lot of kind of chiefly duties. Um, so I think she's she'll be well prepared, and this is the intention of of Lido keeping her on. She'll be very well prepared for some of the tougher. Um, Portland Police Association union negotiations that are coming up and a lot of um, bigger policy talks around kind of contentious issues like body cams and student resource officers, police officers in schools. Um, so she's she has the experience, she has the background. We don't know too much about kind of her uh, leadership style aside from it's very, well, she's, she's uh, a student of um, Daniel Outlaw and is basically replacing or kind of following on her um, her her own mission and well, her own goals. What was the av- what's, so. what's the average tenure? Uh, you probably don't know the answer. I'm gonna ask you anyway. What's the average tenure <laughs> of police chief in other cities? I don't know the answer to that. Since Mike Reese in 2015, know. since Mike Reese in 2015, yeah. we had Larry O'Day, Donna Henderson as an interim, uh, Mike Marshman, Danielle Outlaw, and now a new chief. New chief. That's that's five in five, five years. In less than five years. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> I, I do know that there is a uh, it, it's popular for a lot of you know police chiefs. There's just definitely a group of police chiefs who are constantly hopping between um, different bureaus, kind of climbing the ladder. To, yeah, it's like being a college yeah. football coach. I get that, but still, you know, there's right. some advantage. And, and I'm not saying we should have a police chief forever, but one advantage is then that a police chief can uh, help instill a culture rather than rank and file thinking they're not going to have to contend with that person for more right. than a year or so. You are listening to X-Ray FM, KXY Portland, KQAC, HD3 Portland, 107.1, 91.1, streaming online everywhere at xray.fm. Thank you so much, Alex. And if we don't do a straw in the wind right now, we're never going to be able to do it. Thanks for having me on. Thanks so much. Straw in the wind. Borden Dairy. The home of Elsie the cow has gone bankrupt. Why? Because people aren't drinking as much milk as they used to. Everybody, thank you for listening. Appreciate you. Thank you to all of our X-Ray members. Love you, Pop. Love you, too. Be back on Monday.